0: Okay y'all, here's where I encourage you to connect with one another. I mean, as a group of people who are all interested in one thing that has the power to unite them, raising good humans. In an age where we are bombarded with extremists on either end of every issue under the sun, screaming rhetoric that feels anything but uniting or inclusive, it can be really challenging to remember an important truth. We are more alike then we are different. Now, I'm not going to jump on my own bandstand, and I realize that my take on raising the next generation already isn't for everyone. That's okay. I don't mind being niche. But I do want parents to realize how much power you have as a collected group of folks when you work together. But this is way easier said than done. The world would have us believe that we have to look out for ourselves or our family only. And the DIY culture definitely seeps into the world of parenting. This thinking only keeps us isolated from one another, on guard, exhausted, and unable to connect and care for ourselves, let alone others. Could there be another way? Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I've worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you, they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family, in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, raising the next generation is hard. And all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. First of all, wherever you are along your parenthood journey, this episode is not meant to make you feel like you need to do more. I just want to say that right off the bat because, please, you are already doing so much. so. Much. Now, this is where I acknowledge how much you're already doing. Encourage you to see that your partner and other parents are also doing so much. Help you see how this little baby of yours has the power to divide or unite your family. Recognize that self care and parenthood is not just necessary for your physical and emotional health, but is a radical act of power. And introduce a call to action for a united coalition of parents. We all need and deserve more and better support as we raise the next generation. Here's the definition of new normal from the Urban Dictionary. New normal. The current state of being after some dramatic change has transpired. What replaces the expected, usual, typical state after an event occurs. The new normal encourages one to deal with current situations rather than lamenting what could have been. How great is that? It covers all that is real and true for new parents. The current state of being after some dramatic change has transpired what could be more dramatic than giving birth no matter if it was fast and furious or long and tiring drug and intervention free or included lots of interventions and maybe even surgery birth is by its varied nature dramatic and everything changes after the baby is born and yes the new normal of parenthood does force I I mean encourage you to deal with your current situation rather than lamenting what could have been. But come on y'all. For every new family there needs to be a period of adjustment and in birth circles it's more commonly called the fourth trimester. Pregnancy gets broken up into 3 chunks of time or trimesters. This allows for discussion of what a person can expect to feel emotionally and physically in smaller bite-sized chunks while they're still pregnant and getting ready to give birth. And while there's tons of information out there on the subject of what those trimesters will look like during pregnancy, there's still a need for more realistic expectations about what the first three months postpartum will be like. In my opinion, it takes a family, at the very least, three months with each baby, no matter how many times you've done this before, to settle into your new normal. Let's be clear, y'all. I'm talking about a fairly straightforward pregnancy and birth with a baby that's a great eater and at least an average sleeper. Any circumstances or challenges above and beyond this means settling into anything resembling your new normal is obviously going to take much longer. Now, that does not mean that at three months, it's all rainbows and unicorns. It's just that you've made it through three months or... 12 weeks or 90 days or 131,487 minutes or 7,889,220 seconds, depending on how you want to count it. And this adds up to a ton of experience in taking care of a newborn. You start to feel like you have an idea about the rhythm of what the day will be like for all of you by about three months. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be any more surprises. It's just that they won't be coming at you second by second. You'll get a chance at this point to catch your breath before the next big switch up occurs. It's both fortunate and unfortunate that at this three-month mark, your newborn really turns into a different little creature. It's fortunate because if they were incredibly fussy and colicky, they kind of settled down around three months old. They've gotten most of what was ailing them out of their system. It's kind of like a switch gets turned off or on at this point, and the the squishy cuteness of Baby Blob turns into a whole new and exciting little person. They start to track you as you walk around the room. They start making noises other than shrill cries, and they start to smile with intention directly at you, because you are the center of their universe. Yeah, you finally get a little payback for all the hard work you've been putting into this whole parenting gig. It's unfortunate because at this crucial time when babies actually start acting like babies instead of newborns, so many of today's parents have to leave their baby to go back to work. Many of them have to return to work much earlier than 12 weeks, and most partners still only get to be home for the first week or two. But thankfully, this is starting to change. Why do we have this so backwards? Can somebody please tell me how it's possible that the US, sharing the distinction with Suriname and Papua New Guinea, is the only developed country where there's no required paid parental leave after the birth of a new baby. The minimum required paid maternity leave in the US is zero weeks. The US has the fewest maternity leaves protections or benefits of any country. Moving from couple to family or individual to parent is one of life's biggest transitions. Not allowing for adequate time off to adjust to this new normal, it's not right, y'all. In my classes, I joke that maybe I should campaign for President of the United States with the only issue I run on being that everyone gets a year off of paid parental leave. Now, I've only taught thousands of couples over the years, so it's not enough really to swing a national election. But I think my ticket might have a chance. There isn't a new parent out there that wouldn't like to have more paid time off to adjust to their new life as a family. Now, it's so important that we include partners in this movement. I think they often get the shaft in this regard. It's assumed that the person who gave birth will be staying home with the baby for whatever amount of time the couple can afford. Some new parents may be able to make the decision that they're only going to go back to work part-time or maybe not at all after this. But what about their partners? Partners are going through their own personal journeys of transition and transformation too and I think it's unfair that we don't recognize their period of adjustment as being equal to that of the birthing person. Recognizing the fourth trimester as the necessary adjustment period before couples realize their new normal should be the bare minimum standard of care for all new families. But that three-month waiting period is essential to adjusting to life whenever a new baby comes into the picture. Each member of the family has to reassign themselves into their new role every time a family adds a baby to the mix. But y'all, if I had it my way, as your POTUS, you'd still have nine more months to get used to your new normal, instead of jumping back into everything way too soon. You'd have the necessary time to not only adjust, but to actually enjoy this period of adjustment as well. I don't know. I think it might work. Extend the new normal. Vote for Barr Buckner Suarez. What do you think, y'all? How much time do you think is necessary to realize your new normal? How much time did you get to take off before having to return to work? Was it enough? Do you have any better campaign slogans for me? I've been having a conversation online about how feminism might have screwed us. But before everyone gets all worked up, let me plead my case. We're supposed to be able to do it all. But too many of us, all of us, are finding that it's impossible to live up to that ideal in our mothering, working inside and outside of the home, being a wonderful mate for our partner, yada, yada, yada. In some ways, I feel lucky that my job, which is after all a calling and one that I absolutely love, allows me to appear as though I'm able to do it all, even when that's only an optical illusion. Let me explain. When my children were younger, I was the one who always dropped the kids off to school and then picked them up in the afternoons. I was able to hit those field trips that appealed to me, y'all I'm no dummy, and claim work commitments for those that didn't. Like I said, no dummy. My work has always been part-time, which allowed me to have my cake and eat it too. A little taste of it anyway. Because I'm a contracted employee, I have no benefits. And while my hours have always meant not having to pay for childcare, huge bonus, it also meant that I'm gone a lot during evenings and weekends. So I ended up missing out on all the fun soccer games, swim lessons, dance, and acting performances. Ironically, it's been my paycheck that has allowed our kids to take part in all of these extracurriculars. All the extracurriculars that I usually don't get to take part in. Huh. It's clear to see that even in my very mama-friendly job, I can't do it all either. Sometimes it ends up feeling like we've all been had. Am I the only one that feels that way? It's challenging to live in a time and place where raising the next generation is not valued in the same way as professional work. Many parents can't make decisions about how they'd like to raise their children that truly reflect their personal choices. Instead, they might feel bound to only consider what they can afford. I've talked about it before, y'all. The fact that the U.S. is the only developed nation without mandatory paid maternity and paternity leave is a joke. But it is not funny. At all. Just at the moment when our families are feeling most vulnerable, when they're most in need of a chance to catch up to this huge life change that's been thrust upon them, they're required to skip that break and instead add a part-time or full-time job onto their already full-time plus job of learning how to parent a newborn baby. And we seriously wonder why the numbers of parents who experience a PMAD, perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, are so high. Statistics tell us that one out of every five birthing folks and one out of every 10 partners will experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder following the birth of their baby. Personally, I'm surprised these numbers aren't even higher. What can we begin to do about this? Be real. If we're being completely honest, none of us is doing it all. None of us can say that we're able to give 100 percent to our children and 100 percent to our partners and 100 percent to our jobs, let alone. to ourselves. You all math is not my strongest subject, but even I realize that you can't give 400% when you've only got 100% to start with. It just doesn't add up, y'all. Something happened a long time ago when little girls like me were being raised on the Anjali perfume commercial. While I was being told that I could quote, bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and never ever let you forget you're a man, a completely sexist and unrealistic claim, by the way, little boys were not being raised with any messages that might allow them to redefine all that they could aspire to as a grown man. This part is going to get a little gendered, y'all. And while you might not agree with everything I'm about to say, the current of our culture is very strong. And even if this might not be your experience, It is for many others. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that a lot of men feel displaced in today's culture. Now, I think women can often be too quick to respond to this with, oh, poor babies, they've been dethroned. And I can understand this reaction as we're still very much living in a man's world in terms of who's making policy, feeling supported in the workplace, receiving equal pay for equal work. I mean, I could go on and on. But the voices of enlightened men, those men who are wanting to contribute, need to be a part of this discussion for any real change to occur. Y'all, they need to be welcomed into what is still considered to be mostly quote-unquote women's work, the raising of our children. I can feel it emanating from the soon-to-be fathers in my classes. They're eager and excited about becoming dads, but feel scared, uncertain, and all too often completely left out of the discussion. We've pressed upon them how important their role is in helping a woman get through her labor and birth. But have we really considered their needs and feelings about becoming a father? Do we address these concerns when they see them in our OB or midwifery clinic settings? As childbirth educators, do we truly support them in their role or send subtle messages that their experience is secondary and doesn't matter as much as the birthing person's? Now, it's no secret that I hold a soft spot for the men and partners in my classes. I care about them and their experiences of pregnancy, birth, and parenting as much as I do the pregnant persons. But most of the time, their uncomfortable displacement gets in the way of them being truly transformed by this experience if we don't work to welcome and include them. You know, women are already able to do pretty much anything a man can do in our society. plus. They can co-create a brand new life, pass it through their bodies, and feed it the perfect food. For the first time, maybe ever in their lives, men realize everything that women are truly capable of, and this can challenge their core identities. When I ask expectant fathers what their goals might be for the class, all too often I hear, I just want to do everything I can to make things better for her, which is sweet and wonderful, but What do you want to get out of this class? A sense of confidence? Knowledge of what a real baby looks like so you don't think the worst when your baby is blue, covered in goo, and not breathing at the moment of birth? An understanding of how your relationship might be affected by this little person because you're scared your partner might end up loving the baby more than she loves you? Their job in all of these experiences is to remain very stereotypically male, stoic and strong when inside, their entire sense of who they are is being broken wide open. For most men, if we welcome them to fully participate in these pregnancy, birth, and early parenting experiences, they'll emerge on the other side of it all completely transformed. In this day of shifting definitions of what it means to be feminine and masculine, can we not also redefine what our roles of parenting might involve? Can we encourage men to throw off the mantle of strength and posturing so that they can be soft and present to this experience, which allows them then to embrace the role of father for their newborn baby? Because, y'all, really, it's only through vulnerable and connected co parenting that any of us have a chance of pretending we can do it all. Because even when you have a committed partner in parenting, being able to do it all still requires 400% effort. When combined, you only have 200% to give. So be gentle with yourselves. Be honest. Don't believe the hype. And stop striving for an ideal that's never been realistic. Make, I can't do it all, your personal motto. And encourage others to do the same. Are you exhausted by the societal pressure placed upon you to do it all? If you're an expectant or new father, what's your experience been in feeling welcomed into this world of pregnancy, birth, and parenting? How has becoming a parent expanded your definition of doing it all into doing enough? I'd love to hear what this discussion brings up for you. Most of us have this weird relationship with self-care that goes something like this. When I can find the time and the money, I'm going to make that appointment at the spa for a full day treatment, or I'm going to start dropping hints now so that my honey will set up a full day spa treatment for me because it feels really fill in the blank, selfish, indulgent, luxurious, over the top for me to do this for myself. I have lots of issues with this, y'all. First, we think that self-care means only a wonderful but really expensive experience that's outside of our day-to-day living. And then there's the issue of not feeling worthy of self-care. This may be an issue for all of us, but I find that it's mothers in particular who feel like any attempts at self-care just aren't in their new job description. So rarely, if ever. Do we give ourselves permission for self-care? Instead, we take on the job of caring for everyone else except ourselves. This is not okay, folks. It's not okay. The number of mamas I know who can't remember the last time they ate an actual lunch they prepared for themselves, instead of just eating the leftover crusts of a PB&J sandwich and some random goldfish crackers that their toddler refused, is way too many. The same can be said for all those mamas who don't take time out of their busy lives to exercise or get the necessary rest this job of parenting demands. There are way too many mothers who don't schedule coffee dates or an evening out for cocktails and laughter because they feel like they can't leave their babies with their partners for a few hours to get a well deserved break or to give their partner some much needed one on one time with their little one. But that's a discussion for another day. My point is that we all too often equate self-care with the big, showy displays of once-in-a-very-long-while gifts of massage or retreats away from everything. And while these might recharge our batteries and are lovely treats that I would wish for all of us, we need something more, something sustainable for our day-to-day lives. (laughs) Because this work we do in raising and caring for the next generation is hard, really, really hard. When we don't take part in regular, weekly, if not daily, self-care activities, our stress levels rise and our resiliency to bounce back when the unexpected, even harder days hit, goes down. Being able to care for others relies on us lowering our own high levels of stress so that we can dig a little deeper when someone in our circle needs us. I've mentioned Yoga Nidra before. You can go back to episode 15 for more info and a link to a free nap in the show notes. But have you heard of Tricia Hersey, founder of the Nap Ministry? She discusses rest as a tool for personal liberation and healing. As a black woman living in the U.S., Hersey sees rest as a social justice and public health issue. Hersey talks about how it is our divine and human right to reimagine and snatch rest right now. Even if we're talking about 10 to 15 minutes a day for our minds and our bodies to sit in quietude, this is radical self care. And if well rested parents were to work together, this is radical community care. A link to the interview with Tricia Hersey, the self proclaimed nap bishop on the We Can Do Hard Things podcast is in today's show notes. I hope you'll find it as helpful as I did in redefining what self care can look like as a movement. And why as parents, the message matters so much. I was going to talk about how new parents need to come together to create a united front when it comes to how they're going to raise their baby. But because of a great thread I've been following on social media, my focus is beginning to soften and I think has become a little bit more inclusive. For sure, there's a need for new parents to hash out the key points on how you intend to raise your children before they start arriving. If there are any big differences in your parenting styles, it'd be best to know this before your little person comes into the world to shine a spotlight on them. But if there are challenges between the generations, and y'all, there almost always are, it's important for the new parents to unite together for the sake of their own relationship. And then, this is really important. If a particular issue with a grandparent comes up, the new parent should speak directly to them about it, not the in-law child. You've probably already figured this out, but it's got special importance when you become new parents. Now, y'all, having acknowledged all of this, the thread I'm following on social media is a conversation about how grandmothers might experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder as their own children become pregnant and give birth. This was something I'd never even considered before, but makes complete sense to me now. What a birthing parent experiences during labor and birth remains with them for always, their whole entire life, y'all. As a person's own child begins their journey toward parenthood, these emotions and feelings from so long ago might begin to resurface. This can cause strain in the grandparent-parent relationship as the soon-to-be grandmother revisits their own experience. If it was negative or traumatic for them, then there will be challenges that come along with this remembered event. If there were no real issues at their birth, there can still be some challenges or feelings of judgment if their child decides to do things differently from the way they did in their early years of parenting, the same can be said for the partner grandparent experience. We live in a really different time, y'all, with new research and lots of ideas about best practices during pregnancy, birth, and parenting that just simply did not exist when our parents were on their own journey. It's no wonder that we have plenty of families having discussions with sound bites like this. When we were having babies, we just did it. What are you so worried about? Well, that's not the way we did things when you were born and you turned out just fine, didn't you? One of the healthcare systems I work for has a class called Grandparents Today geared towards softening these conversations between the generations. It's taught by a retired L&D nurse who also happens to be a grandmother herself. So this is peer-to-peer education. And a link for more information about this class is in today's show notes. The class brings to light All the current information we have on how to keep babies safe when sleeping, why there's such an emphasis on breast or chest feeding, how and why it makes such good sense to wear your babies and have them skin to skin as much as possible, etc. The grandparents who take this class absolutely love it. They come back to their own children and school them about these best practices, and everyone ends up landing on the same page, at least about the things that are taught in the class. I'd like to propose these two generations take this opportunity of bringing the newest family member on board as a chance to unite the whole family around raising this little person into adulthood. It's a ton of work to do this job well, y'all. If you're lucky enough to have your parents nearby and can count on them to assist with the day-to-day care of your newborn, this can be a lifesaver for you and your relationship. But even if they're far away, relying on the wisdom that they possess literally just from having more years on this earth than you, can be so helpful. When talking with them about your challenges, try hard not to compare your situation to theirs. Yes, you might be going back to work full-time and they stayed home, but every parent works, just in different locations. Include your own father in this new stage of life and try to do so without resentment. It was a different time. And he may not have been encouraged to take part in parenting the same way you are today. If your mother never breastfed you, remember that she's learning right alongside with you. Her words don't mean to be unsupportive. She just might be feeling a little guilty about not doing this when it was her turn. Having a new baby means stretching, growing, and making room for this little person. Everyone examines who they are in relationship to this new life. And it brings up stuff for each member of the family, y'all. Some of it good, and some of it not so good. Don't assume anything in communication with one another. If the words you hear sting, instead of getting defensive, pause and try to imagine where their hurt might be coming from. Ask lots of questions. Look for understanding and common ground. Having a baby does not have to be something that divides a family. It can actually be something that brings you all together. Being aware of these multi-generational challenges can be one way that you get closer to your own parents. And isn't that something worth fighting for? When you had your baby, did issues arise between you and your own parents? How did you handle them? Did the baby bring you closer together or drive you farther apart? Okay, y'all, I'm not opening myself up for a debate about who works harder or whose children benefit more or any other divisive angle you can think of in the world of parents. I'm just stating the obvious. Being a parent is hard work, regardless of whether you're juggling the demands of full-time employment outside of the home with your parenting duties, or if you're in full-time parent mode taking care of your kiddos at home, or if you find yourself doing something in between. But I have to talk about something crazy that I heard on the radio one morning. It's a story that's been around for a bit, but just hit my radar. Welch's, yes, the juice company, connected with 2,000 mamas of school-aged children, 5 to 12 years old, and asked them to complete a survey. The results are interesting and very validating, which is why I'm sharing this with you. On average, the survey found that mamas start their workday at 6.23 a.m. and don't clock out until 8.31 p.m. And not to argue with the experts who conducted the survey, but I'm not sure that knocking off at 8.31 really reflects our reality. What about the nights when your little one has a fever or is throwing up? Or the nights that your middle schooler really needs to talk about the drama happening at school? I hated 7th grade. Doesn't everyone? But I digress. That's a 14 hour workday, my friends. This is equal to a whopping 98 hour work week, which means that on average, those mamas who were surveyed are working two and a half full time jobs. Can I hear an amen? I don't know about any of you, but hearing this somehow makes me feel better. But shouldn't it make me feel worse? Here's why it makes me feel better. Equating the work of mothering to what our society holds so dear makes me hope that the world might begin to respect this work just a little bit more, y'all. I've done lots of different kinds of jobs in my life, and some of them have definitely not been easy. But mothering? Oh, it takes the cake as the hardest job I've ever loved. The world tells us what matters most is the almighty paycheck. What contribution are you making to the world if it can't be seen by a rising dollar amount in your bank account? It's incredibly backwards, this thinking. It's short-term and short-sighted. The work of mothering is generational, long-term, far-reaching, and has the potential to impact the world in ways both great and small always in ways that matter. Why do we need studies that calculate the hours that we put into this job? Because apparently, that's the only way we can collectively be seen and recognized for the most important work we'll ever do in our lives. Make it about the punch clock. Make it about dollars and cents. Make it about what the world holds too dearly and too tightly. Money. These same hard-working, butt-busting mama surveyed reported on average having only one hour and seven minutes of time to herself each day. One hour and seven minutes. That doesn't seem possible. But then again, we all have to sleep so we can be ready to face the next day, right? And for the record, sleeping doesn't count as time to yourself. I'd like to speak to my union representative about this. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have a mother's union? But what if we did? What if we came together, all of us, along this path of motherhood, and we organized for those things that would make this work more sustainable? Here's a list of demands that I think we should consider. Number one, a shorter work week. This could get resolved in lots of different ways. A partner, who recognizes that even if both parents are working in and outside of the home, that the lion's share of the parenting tasks are still being done by the mama, so they step up a little more to help lessen the burden. A coworker who gets it when you have a sick child, or a big school field trip coming up that requires more of your attention and time, so they step up and finish the work project without judgment or condescension. More affordable and just more childcare options so that mamas can count on finding a little more time for themselves in order to be more available and present as a mama when they're on the clock. Number two, more respect. I don't know about any of you, but just having the respect of my partner, my employer, and other mamas would go a long way in making this work more sustainable, y'all. All of us are doing the very best that we can all the damn time. And having that work recognized and validated by the people in our day to day would mean so much. Maybe this needs to start with us mamas. Let's lead by example, shall we? Recognize a mama today that you know needs and deserves a little bit more respect for the hard work that she's doing. Tag her on social media, text her over lunch. Hold a Zoom wine happy hour with your BFFs once the workday is done. Send her a card. We never get tired of hearing that we're doing a good job at this mothering gig. But unfortunately, we rarely get much of that positive feedback we so crave and deserve. Number three, longer breaks. One hour and seven minutes in an average 14-hour workday should be illegal. We need to have more time to nurture those things that make us more than just mamas. We need to identify those things that have been lost since we became mamas and bring them back into focus into our daily lives. Start small. What are the things that would make your mothering more enjoyable? A quick walk around the block without your children can give you space, some fresh air, and perspective. A dance party for one in your parked car in the driveway before you head back into your job as mama can help you sing away the tension of the day and act as a bridge between your two work worlds. Time away with friends or cultivating a new or forgotten way to express yourself creatively can renew you, body and soul. Negotiate with whomever you need to for the provision of childcare so that you can recapture that little bit of yourself that is aching to be recognized, too long dormant due to the required task of being somebody's mama. The demands of mothering are great. The workload is challenging and ever-changing. The pay sucks. No sick leave or vacation benefits. There's no on-site supervision or regular feedback about your performance, except when you're being judged by others who have no clue. And yet, we never quit. We keep coming back for the non-traditional benefits, the awe of shaping another's life, the learning we receive from our little teachers, the fact that we're better human beings for having taken this job in the first place. Mamas, I see you. I see all the work that you do, day in and day out, to help your babies grow and thrive into adulthood. Mamas, I salute you. You are doing incredible, important work. Find a moment in your busyness today to pause and reflect on all that you do. Recognize how hard this work is. Cut yourself and others some slack. Breathe. The world needs your good work now more than ever before. My hope is that these demands and any others you feel are being grossly neglected are met without resistance. You need these things to help you be even better at your job. But more importantly, you deserve them. What other demands do you think should be considered by your local mother's union? I'd love to hear what you'd like to see happen so your job of being a mama can become more sustainable and enjoyable. I've included in today's show notes some links to some incredible organizations like Chamber of Mothers, Moms Rising, and the Working Mom Trust that have been created in response to the lack of support that parents, and particularly mothers, have had to deal with in the wake of COVID-19 and the aftermath and impact on the quality of life for families. You could also pick up Essential Labor, written by Angela Garvis, for a reflection on mothering as social change. But only if you're interested and you have the bandwidth, because you are already doing so much. Just know that there are others out there who get it and are doing what they can to support this work of raising the next generation. The following are a couple of interview highlights on NPR with Angela Garbus, the author of Essential Labor, Mothering as Social Change. On increasing the visibility of caregiving. This is the work that makes all other work possible. This is something we saw in the pandemic when our infrastructures of childcare, when babysitters, nannies, childcare centers, and preschools closed. We were all scrambling. We were lost. So I think insisting upon its visibility is the first step. And I think finding solidarity with the people who do care work for us and saying, these people deserve a living wage, and these people deserve basic worker protections. When we are able to give that to the people that we hire to do those things, then we can start to think about how mothers and the people who are unpaid to do that work deserve those things as well. How sharing the load can increase our capacity. We need to ask for help. We need to offer help. We need to, from the ground up, insist on our interdependence and do as much as we can to shape our communities the way we want to see them if we're taking care of each other at the individual level and the community level, if we're helping each other feel more dignified and whole, I think that also gives people more energy to then engage in community work, which may lead to organizing work, which may lead to advocacy. I think that when you receive care from other people, you find actually that as depleted as you feel, you might have a little extra something to give. fired you up at all? Are you thinking about the work that you're doing as a mother, father, or parent any differently? Do you see yourselves as I do? Incredibly important. And if you work together with other parents, politically powerful? The timing on this episode is not coincidental, y'all. But don't discount that taking some time for yourself Resting can be an act of radical resistance and just might give you the energy you need to make some demands about more and better support. I see you and value everything that you're doing to raise the next generation. And if you found any value in today's episode, I would love it if you would share this with someone you know, or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you listen. And get ready, y'all. When we talk next, we'll wrap up our theme of connection on the final episode of season three. I'll see you next time on Birth Happens.